So let us hear God's word, Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes and my, uh, from tears and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. May God add his blessing then here to the reading of his holy word. Amen. As we begin today, obviously we see here in the psalm this theme of death. And we don't know specifically what the psalmist was dealing with. But obviously, uh, this is something that we all have to face at one point in time or another, whether we want to or not. And recently, of course, we've had to face that in our congregation. Of course, Fred with passing of Brad here recently. And uh, Sean with some of your extended family, the Filers and such. And Aileen with her colleague. And and, uh, we just mentioned here uh, a few moments ago about Bobby Van Til and and seemingly coming to the end of her life and and surely there are other examples that we could talk about um, as we go further back in time people close to us uh, of course we mentioned about Jacob and uh, his near-death uh, situation there with the accident and so on well as we have these thoughts in mind, let's look here then at Psalm 116 and uh, the things that are given here for us. Um, Recall that we are in the midst of this hallelujah section, Psalms 111 to 117. And remember also that it is preceded by Psalm 110 and follows with 118, which have uh, the, the two most quoted psalms in the New Testament. And so with those themes in mind, too, our priest king in the order of Melchizedek, the son of David, who is David's Lord, he came to bring us out of our bondage to sin by being bound to the altar. He is the chief cornerstone, and so our logical response is to praise him. In the Old Testament, of course, that was uh, typified through the Exodus, the theme of this section, and of course all that points then to Christ and what he would do. The central psalm in this section, of course, is Psalm 114. And there in the description of the Exodus, the emphasis is on God's presence 
and how everything trembles at the presence of God. And the only way that we can be spared this fearsome presence of God is through the work of our priest king who was bound to the altar. And so all of that is fitting together. Not surprisingly, as I've mentioned here, because of the significance of this section, um, they, uh, Israel sang these psalms during their Passover meal. Psalms 113 and 14, at the beginning of the meal, Psalms 115 to 118, they sang afterward. And so Jesus and his apostles uh, did that. Now we, of course, uh, just reviewed Psalm 115 for the last couple weeks, and it emphasizes that Yahweh is the true God in contrast to all of these idols. And so even though we cannot see God, okay, he's immortal and visible, as we sang here a little bit ago. Though we can't see him, he exists, and he rules over all things. He is the one in whom we can trust, and he is the only God who blesses his people. All other gods are, in the end, man-made. Whether we make them physically, like a figurine, or we make it up in our minds, whether it's a worldview or a religion or an idol that is something in our lives that makes us feel significant and so forth. Whatever it is, these idols are nothing. But there is the true and living God. And he is our maker, he is our provider, he is our redeemer, and we can trust in him. A fitting message to sing after the Passover meal, because remember, after the Passover, Israel worshipped idols. And so they're calling themselves not to do this. And certainly that is true for us. So last week, we celebrated our Passover meal, the Lord's Supper, and then we sang this psalm, Psalm 115, following. Well, as we come here to Psalm 116 now, the next in this so-called pyramid of psalms, we have a different focus. Obviously, this theme of death. But we also have this individual focus, as I've hinted at already uh, here this morning. In Psalm 115, there's this very broad focus, right? We were talking about Israel, the house of Aaron, the God-fearers, right? All this, this broad uh, corporate focus. In fact, not once in Psalm 115 is the individual mentioned. Well, now, as we come to 116, it's the opposite. So if you look at your handout here a moment and you look at on the second page here and look at the statistics at the bottom of the page, you see 38 times the psalmist refers to himself in the first person, I, me, or my. Only once do we have the plural, and that's our God in verse 5. And then when it says you there, uh, that's in verse 7 actually, he's referring to himself. He's speaking to himself. And so... Um, there's, there's this individual focus here in the psalm. This is very similar, actually, to some of the Davidic psalms that we have seen, where David spends, you know, verse after verse after verse uh, talking about himself and his relationship to some issue and his relationship with God, a me and Jesus focus, if you will. And so greater than two times every verse on average uh, the psalmist is referring to himself. Then right above that, of course, you see the names of God. Once again, like we've seen in this section, Yahweh is the name that is used over and over again. Elohim is only used once, God. You see the pronouns 32 times altogether. So there's this, again, this God and I idea um, here. So 
not just then when we come together to worship, but as we are relating to God on our own. Now, we'll see some of the corporate emphasis uh, later in the psalm, but uh, again, this individual focus. Now, uh, this is something we have seen, but in this immediate section, we haven't seen it. (laughs) Starting in Psalm 111 in particular, and even uh, back to Psalm 110, you don't see an individual focus. It's all been corporate. And so this psalm stands out. It's not just that God has saved us, and we, and we can have relationship, but it, it has this uh, individual emphasis. So I'll say more about that here in a moment. All right, now if you look at the outlines here for this psalm, like um, uh, pretty much every one of them, we can look at it in different ways. <clears throat> and that's especially true for this one. Um, most of the commentators differ on how to subdivide the psalm. And uh, if you look at the previous page on the back, um, <clears throat> there at the end of the psalm itself, I give you four of them. Now, the last two, I don't give any words with it, but uh, that commentator was saying, well, I'm not sure, we, should we divide it verses 4 and 5 or 7 and 8? Uh, but all four of those divide it with verses 14 and 15. Uh, now, back to the other page, the one at the top, that's the one I'm following here as we go through the psalm. Some of that is just simply for logistical reasons, but also I think it does make some sense um, uh, to divide it in this way. The next one, just every two or three verses, and the, the last one is the ABC um, arrangement. So again, I encourage you, take this, read the psalm, look at these outlines to better understand uh, how this is arranged. Um, obviously, the psalm ends with a hallelujah. So we've seen that with each one of the psalms. This uh, call to praise our Lord. All right, now back to the main theme. Um, As we saw pretty readily as we read through it, there's this emphasis on death. And verse 15, of course, is very well known to us. So the psalmist is near death, but we don't know for sure why. Some have argued it was an illness. Some have said it was uh, warfare. Maybe it's just old age. Uh, We don't know. But notice what the psalmist does. In the context of death, he calls on Yahweh to rescue him. He speaks about Yahweh who can rescue and deliver him. And then he thanks Yahweh for doing that uh, for him. So these are some of the refrains. And again, that ABC one, uh, you can see that theme over and over again. All right. Now, as we look at the beginning of the psalm, once again, like we've seen here recently, there is no title. Um, but people then guess and try to speculate who wrote this psalm. Well, because of this individual focus and because of some other things, some people think this sounds an awful lot like David. And so that is what some people conclude, um, probably when he was running from Saul. We'll read something here in just a moment to uh, uh, emphasize that. Uh, Other people say, well, what about Hezekiah? Remember how sick he was and how he cried out to the Lord. Maybe he wrote it. We don't know. Remember how Isaiah came and Hezekiah was healed and so on. Uh, Other people say, well, you know, as you read the psalm, there is certain language in it that is more conducive to the language of Hebrew after the exile than the Hebrew before the exile. So, you know, that'd be kind of like us saying, well, you know, that actually sounds like Shakespeare compared to modern day English or, you know, something to that effect. Um, And so because of that, some people say, no, this probably was written after the exile. Whatever the case, whether we're talking about David or Hezekiah, 
whether we're talking about rescue from Babylon or something else, the principles that we see here apply. Okay? It's a fitting message. And it was a fitting message, of course, here for the Passover. Israel not only sang these songs about Yahweh saving the nation, but it was fitting because Yahweh saved the individual Israelite too. Every man, woman, and child. And so for our, I guess you could say, main first point, let's, let's go down this path here a little bit. Okay? God loves the church. No question about it. He loves us as rocky springs. We come together. We are worshiping together as God's people. Uh, the church is the bride of Christ. We are the elect from every nation or something to that effect. And all of that is true. But it's also true for us to say that God saved me, that I am elected by God's grace. Jesus died for my sin, not just our sin. Now, we live here in America, and you're like, yeah, well, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? <laughs> but here in our American culture, we focus so much on the individual that we tend to forget the corporate. Uh, there needs to be a balance here, a balance with this idea of the whole church and the idea of the individual. And so I must be part of a church. I must be a member who participates in the activities of a church. I must give my tithes to the church. I must be part of the group. I must worship together uh, with God's people. But I also then must have this individual personal relationship with God. I can't rely on other people. For my relationship with God, now they may encourage me or help me, but in the end, I have to have a relationship with God personally. I must pray. I can't just rely on, on like the pastor today, right, as I led us in prayer. Um, I, I must pray too. I, I can't just rely on hearing scripture at church. I must do that uh, throughout the week. Both are needed. So Psalm 115 and Psalm 116, you might say, this, this corporate emphasis and the individual one. And so if you come to church and you participate in the life of the church, that is good. But if you are not spending time on your own in prayer and reading scripture, that is not good. Okay? Or conversely, if you're faithful about your personal piety, but you do not participate in church activities on a regular basis, or you just watch church on TV or whatever it is, as some people will do. Okay? Well, that's not right either. It has to be both. And so this is, you might say, the, the first message, this broader message as we see Psalm 116 fitting in uh, to the ones that surround it. All right, well, with all this in mind, some of this background, some of this big picture view, let's now begin looking at the specifics of, of the psalm. And so we'll look at verses 1 to 4 here today. So verse 1, we see, I have loved because Yahweh is hearing my voice, my supplications. Let's also then read verse 2. Because he has turned his ear to me, so throughout my days I will call. All right. Do you see then how the last part of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2 
are rhyming. They go together. Okay? So they have the two becauses, and Yahweh is hearing the prayer. Both lines are saying that. You see the synonymous <coughs> aspect there. <coughs> now, in the first part, right, it just says that God is hearing. In the second line, it says God is turning to hear. Do you see the difference? Okay. It's not that God kind of overhears us praying. You know, he's up there in heaven, and he's busy, and he's, you know, giving directions to the angels, and, you know, he's chatting with his son, or, you know, he kind of overhears me praying down here. That's not the idea. He turns his ear to us. He leans over, as it were. He's inclining himself to us when we cry out to him. And so due to that, Due to God listening specifically to us and then answering that prayer, in the case here of the psalmist, the psalmist responds in these two ways. In verse 1, he responds with love. I have loved. Because God heard my prayer, there's this response of love. There's this emotion. There is this, this feeling, if you will. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but then he also responds by calling on God more. And notice it says, I will call throughout my days. I'm going to continue to do this. God answered my prayer here. I'm going to keep crying out to him. And so when God answers our prayers, you see the encouragement. Now, again, you remember Psalm 115. We're, we're talking about a God we cannot see. We're talking about a God that we cannot hear. He doesn't speak from the heavens, but, you know, very few times throughout history, and so we must live by faith. We must trust in this unseen God. But you know, when he answers our prayer, isn't that a great encouragement? Doesn't this stir our souls to love him more? Doesn't this compel us to want to pray even further? It encourages us to say, well, God is there. He, he, he does care for me. I can trust him. Now, conversely, of course, when we are praying to God and we're in you know, our bedroom or here in church and, and, and it's just silent and God doesn't answer our prayers, we begin to doubt. We begin to wonder if all this Christianity stuff is even real and true. We are tempted to trust something that God has made, to take matters into our own hands or to put our faith in something that we can see. Or maybe we escape with entertainment or sinful living, or we just work all the time, or we're we just really zealous about our religious actions, but there's no real relationship with the Lord. That's when our prayers are not answered. But when they are, right, the contrast is, is very stark here, right? It stirs up our love for God. It encourages us to pray even more. Now, this is one of the key ideas here in the psalm. You see this word in verse 2, I will call at the end. And then look at verse 4, the end of the first line, I am calling. And then if you turn the page uh, to the other side, verse 13, second line, on the name of Yahweh, I will call. And then verse 17, on the name of Yahweh, I will call. And so four times, plus some other suggested connections, um, it specifically says about the psalmist calling on Yahweh. So clearly we have this theme of prayer, asking God to help us in the midst of, of our need. All right, now let me read a few other passages here for us just a moment. Let's uh, turn briefly to 1 first, uh, first John. 
Verse 1 of the psalm here, right? I love God because he answered me. Well, you remember these words in 1 John 4, verse 19. Now, the New King James adds him here. We love him because he first loved us. All right, that's more general. It's not loving in the sense of answering prayer. That's not the specific point. But it's the same idea. We love because God has done this for us. He's answered a prayer. He has saved us. He's helped us in some way. You know, whatever it is, we love him. Let's turn then to Romans chapter 10. Now, Paul is quoting from Joel 2 here. But notice the words in verse 13, Romans 10, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, um, all right. Um, We're going to see in verse 4 about deliverance, rescue, salvation in that sense. Paul obviously is talking about ultimate salvation here. If we call on Christ, we'll be saved from eternal death. But the psalmist is emphasizing calling on God to be saved from temporal death. But both are true. If we call on the Lord, this is our hope. He is our only help in the end. Let's turn to uh, a couple of psalms here. Psalm 105, first of all. Okay, psalm 105, we see <clears throat> verse 1. Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, <clears throat> make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of his glorious works. You see how that fits with Romans 10? <clears throat> Right, how can we call upon the Lord unless someone comes and tells us about him? Right, well, well, here, call upon the Lord and then tell people about him. And so it fits very much with Romans. Let's turn to Psalm 145 a moment. And this verse, this is closer to the theme of the psalm here. Psalm 145, verse 18. And notice how verse 17 talks about God's character. And in verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. In other words, sincerely, according to truth, genuinely. And then lastly, let's turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. This psalm, as uh, you see in the title, was written by David when he was running from Saul. So again, back to the question, who wrote Psalm 116? Well, notice how similar this is. Psalm 18, verse 1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me. And the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ear. So then God responds. Everything shakes and so forth. He answers David. Um, All right. Well, as we come back to Psalm 116, we have... um, Can you say a common theme here? I I could read from dozens more passages that say the same kind of thing. Um, 
And so let us then do what the psalmist is doing. Let us pray to God. Let us ask him for things and patiently await his answer. And it can be for anything. It doesn't have to be for life or death things. Let's trust him, especially because we can't see him. And especially when the answer doesn't come right away. But then let's be encouraged when he does answer our prayers. May we not just, you know, move on and forget that we prayed about it. No, yeah, you know, I do have clothes to wear. I was able to pay those bills this month or whatever. You know, don't just move on and ignore it. Thank God for it. May it stir your love for him. And may it encourage you to pray even more. Trust him more deeply. And so whether God answers with that enough money to survive the month or an improved relationship or someone we love recovers from some health trouble or we've made it through some difficult meeting or whatever it is, when God answers those prayers, let's respond like this with love and a commitment to pray even more. But you know, when we are faced with life and death situations, And God does answer our prayers. Doesn't that stir up even more love? Doesn't that encourage us to pray even more? So we mentioned about Jacob here and his accident. You know, it's encouraged me that God has preserved Jacob's life. I'm sure it's done the same for Jacob. Okay, and and all of you as friends. And when your daughter has cancer or three cancers, you know, when God answers these prayers, it encourages you. It encourages you to pray more. When you are deathly sick, or someone you love is, maybe you're a soldier in battle, maybe you're persecuted for your faith, maybe it's the evil beasts in the government who are coming to try to to capture you, whatever it is. When we are in these life or death kinds of situations, and God answers us, it it encourages us even more. And that's certainly what we see here from the psalmist. And so apply it in, if you will, everyday situations, apply it in these uh, as well. So we've been talking about death. Let's look now at verse 3. This is the specific prayer that the psalmist had made. Um, The cords of death encompassed me, and the distresses of Sheol have found me. Distress and trouble I am finding. Now, obviously, he's referring to after the fact. But uh, um, you see what he is saying. Now, do you see how the connection is here with Psalm 18 um, that we just read? All right, notice that uh, the first two lines here in verse 3 are rhyming, saying the same thing. They're synonymous. Um, And so in the first line, notice this idea of being tied up. Death is coming to tie us up, to uh, entrap us, to, to become a snare. And so maybe you imagine a death riding on a horse with a lasso or something. You know, he's, he's coming to tie us up. He is a hunter. In the second line, Sheol here now, referring to the grave, is um, tracking me down. He is pursuing me. He has found me, it says. Okay? The distresses of Sheol have found me. So you have this idea of, of uh, someone who is, is coming after you. Now, you know, in the end, this is true for every one of us. Every one of us is going to get lassoed and tied up. 
And that's been true throughout history. Only Enoch and Elijah have not been caught by this rope. But everyone else has, even Jesus. And some people were tied up twice. Think of Lazarus. Now, we don't know what the psalmist is talking about here. Again, is it an illness? Is it warfare? Is it old age? We don't know. But whatever it is, okay, death comes to us all. The only other exceptions to this are those who will be alive when Christ comes back. We will not be tied up by death. We will be transformed as God's people there immediately. But unless that's our case, all of us are going to die. Life's distresses will eventually come, and we will not be able to escape. The troubles we face now are significant, but in the end, hey, Sheol's going to grab us and take us home, as it were, to the grave. Okay. Now, we can despair over this. We can get angry about it. Jesus did. In John 11, when Lazarus died, it says that he got mad. Because this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is not how God made it. We can try to defy death. We can try to ignore death. We can try to prevent death. But in the end, it's no use. In the end, it's going to come for us all. Death is certain. It shouldn't be, but it is. And it's because we are sinners. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, death is the common lot for us all. The wages of sin is death. God promised it. You will surely die if you eat of this tree. And, of course, they did, and, and we die too. We all will end in the grave. And so the psalmist is reminding us, us of this. Obviously, it's a topic we don't want to talk about. You know, we may go to a funeral, but, you know, how often do we um, really want to go? How often do we look intently at the open casket? You know, we tend to want to get out of there, you know, and turn around and talk to somebody over here, you know, whatever. I mean, we, we don't want to deal with this, but we need to. But as he started in verses 1 and 2, we know that God answered his prayer in regard to death. He's still alive. He's writing this psalm. And so um, there is hope. As we talk about death, there is hope. And so notice then verse 4. So on the name of Yahweh, I am calling. I pray, O Yahweh, deliver my soul. So you see what he's doing. He's, he's talking about something in the present. He's talking about something in the past. He kind of goes back and forth here. Um, the second line of verse 4 clearly was referring to something that he did pray. And maybe he's going to pray it again. Uh, but do you see this emphasis? Calling on Yahweh, praying to him because he is our only hope. Notice how he says it's on the name of Yahweh that he calls. We talked about this in Psalm 113. We've seen it a few times since then. Uh, referring to God's character. Verse 5, he's going to give us a description of God's character. This God is the one we have hope in. The one we can't see but the one that we can trust. This specific name, of course, is Yahweh. Again, the name used over and over again here in this section of Psalms. He is the Lord of the covenant of grace. 
And because he is the Lord of the covenant of grace, he is sovereign over all things, and he's entered into relationship with us, and he's kept the terms of the covenant on our behalf, like Abraham sleeping and God going between the pieces on his behalf. And so because of this, our souls are delivered. Because of this relationship, because of this commitment, God promises to deliver us. And yet you're saying, well, pastor, you just said everybody's going to die. That is true. But ultimately, there is no death for the people of God. There is no second death. There is no eternal damnation. The grave may capture us for a moment, but it will not last. It will capture our bodies maybe for centuries or millennia, but not our souls. There is eternal life for the people of God. But, you know, along the way, there are times that God does delay our death. Probably everyone in this room has cheated death, as we say, at least once. God has spared us, like the psalmist. He has delivered us from the grave for a season. And this, of course, is what the psalmist is saying happened to him. And he is loving God and encouraged by it. Now, I mentioned Lazarus here a moment ago. Obviously, Jesus delivered Lazarus from the grave, literally. Um, And yet he died again, whatever, a few months or a few years later or whatever it is. God sent angels to protect Jacob here last Sunday to to spare him from the end of an early life. He may live another 50 or 60 years. We don't know. Um, God has spared Anna twice in particular there right at the beginning. It's very um, touch and go there those couple times. He has sustained her multiple times since, and we pray that he'll do it again with this tumor on her kidney. But at some point, he's not going to do that. But nevertheless, our hope is in God. We die because we're sinners, but our hope is in God so that we don't have to die forever be separated from him and so this is our hope our hope is Yahweh our covenant Lord call on him in faith trust in Jesus right Romans 10 verse 13 call on him to be spared the eternal death trust in God who has numbered all of our days whether they are many or they are few pray for deliverance hope in God and respond with love, respond with obedience when he does answer our prayers. Now let me go back to where I started here on the main themes. We need to think about this as a church. We need to think about this as Christians. But you need to think about it individually. I need to think about this. Each one of us individually must come to terms with death. Now, for some of you, you're probably thinking, well, that's probably years and years down the road. And maybe it is. For some others of you, maybe you're thinking it's right around the corner, and it may be. But regardless, our hope, our only hope, is to trust in Christ, calling on God to be spared eternal death. So again, individually, have you done that? It's easy to sit here with other professing Christians and think you're a Christian, but are you really? Have you trusted in Christ to be spared the eternal death? 
Okay. And so when we are faced with death, something that we frankly want to avoid, and that's understandable, but when we are faced with it, whether we're at a funeral for a loved one or we hear about it like today or whatever it is, okay, maybe you had a close call on the highway, whatever it is, okay, our hope is in God. Okay, trust in him. Let me end in this way. Our society has failed miserably with the issue of death in the last few years, hasn't it? COVID has scared everyone silly. We have given up our freedoms. We have believed all kinds of lies about it. We have put things in our body that haven't been proven. We are unwilling to think about the possibility that somebody did this on purpose. We just totally lost it. And it's because we're afraid of death. And it's because our culture as a whole does not trust in Christ. Unfortunately, many Christians have gone bonkers over this too. And I think in some ways it's an indication that they haven't come to terms with death, their death. They haven't maybe even trusted in Christ. God knows. But this isn't just some, you know, out there conversation. It's something that affects our lives and has considerably in the last few years. And so God has spared us here. All of us probably have gotten COVID by now, but we're here, aren't we? God has spared us. And so like the psalmist, let us respond with a deeper love. Let us respond with calling on the Lord and continuing to pray and trust in him. All right, well, a few thoughts here as we begin the psalm today. We'll look, Lord willing, at verses 5 to 11 uh, next week. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you um, that you don't dance around hard issues. You don't pretend like something is not true, such as death. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us passages like this to to address it. Lord, we are thankful that there is hope in you, in Christ, that there is hope that even though we all will very likely die, uh, that we don't have to endure the second death, the eternal death. And we are thankful that you have provided this hope, this encouragement through Jesus Christ, And again, Lord, we do pray that everyone here would know this salvation, this deliverance, this rescue. But as we still face the reality of physical death, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to think clearly about it, that you would help us not to ignore it, but to to live in hope, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And so, Lord, we pray for your mercies here in these ways and that you would encourage us through answered prayer. And we pray this then in Jesus' name. Amen.